Chapter 7 of The Town Traveler by George Gissing. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 Polly's Wrath. Polly posted her letter on the way to the theater. This evening she had a private engagement for ten o'clock, and on setting forth to the appointed place, she looked carefully about her to make sure that no one watched or followed her. Christopher Parrish was not the only young man who had a habit of standing to wait for her at the theater door. Upon him she could lay her commands with some assurance that they would be observed, but others were less submissive, and at times had given her trouble. To be sure, she could always get rid of importunate persons by the use of her special gift, that primitive sarcasm which few cared to face for more than a minute or two. But with admirers, Polly wished to be as far as possible gracious, never coming to extremities with one of them until she was quite certain that she thoroughly disliked him. Finding the coast clear, which after all slightly disappointed her, she walked sharply into another street, where she hailed a passing hansom and was driven to Lincoln's Inn Fields. Here, on the private pavement, shadowed by the College of Surgeons, she lingered in expectancy. Ten was striking, but she looked in vain for the figure she would recognize, that of a well-dressed middle-aged man with a white silk comforter about his neck and drawn up so as to hide his mouth. Twice she had met him here, and on each occasion he was waiting for her when she arrived. Five minutes passed, ten minutes. She grew very impatient, and as a necessary consequence, very angry. To avoid unpleasant attention from the few people who walked by, she had to pace backwards and forwards, as if going about her business. When the clocks chimed the first quarter, Polly was in a turmoil of anger, blended with disappointment and apprehension. She could not have made a mistake. The message she had received was W.S.T., which meant Wednesday, same time. Some accident must have interfered. At twenty minutes past ten, she had lost all hope. She must go home and wait for a possible communication on the morrow. Swinging her skirts, clenching her fists, and talking silently at a great rate, she walked in the direction of Chancery Lane. At a corner, someone going in the opposite direction caught sight of her and stopped. Polly was so preoccupied that she would not have noticed the figure had it merely passed. By stopping it drew her attention, and she beheld Christopher Parrish. Why, Miss Sparks! He held out his hand, but to no purpose. Polly had her eyes fixed upon him, and they flashed with hostility. What do you mean by it? Mean by what? The young man was astonished. His hand dropped, and he trembled before her. How dare you spy after me, nasty little wretch? Spy after you, Miss Sparks? Why, I hadn't the least idea of anything of the kind. I swear I hadn't. I was just taking a walk. Oh, yes, of course. You're always taking a walk, aren't you? And you always come just this way, cause it's nice and convenient for Lambeth Road, ain't it? I've a good mind to call a policeman and give you in charge for stopping me in the street. "'Well, did ever anybody hear such a thing as this?' exclaimed Mr. Parrish, 
faint in voice and utterly at a loss for protestations at all effective. I tell you I was only taking a walk. That's to say, I've been with a friend. A friend? Oh, yes, of course. What friend? It's somebody you don't know. His name? Oh, of course. I don't know him. And I don't know you either after tonight, so just remember that, Mr. Parrish. The idea. If I can't take two steps without being followed and spied upon, and you call yourself a gentleman, get out of my way, please. If you want to follow and spy, you're quite at liberty to do so. Perhaps it'll ease your nasty little mind. Don't talk to me. What business have you got to stop me in the street? I'd like to know. If you're not careful, I shall send a complaint to your employers, and then you'll have plenty of time to go taking walks. She turned from him and pursued her way, but not so quickly as before. Christopher, limp with misery, tried to move off in another direction, but in spite of himself he was drawn after her. By Chancery Lane and along the Strand he kept her in sight, often with difficulty, for he durst not draw nearer than some twenty yards. At Charing Cross she stopped, and by her movements showed that she was looking for an omnibus. Parrish longed to approach, quivered with the ever-recurrent impulse, but his fear prevailed. In a more lucid state of mind he would probably have remarked that Polly allowed a great many omnibuses to go by, and that she was surely waiting much longer than she need have done. But at length she jumped in and disappeared, whereupon Mr. Parrish spent all the money he had with him on a large brandy and soda, hoping it would make him drunk. The door of the house in Kennington Road stood open, in the passage, Mr. Gammon and Mr. Cheeseman were conversing genially. They nodded to Polly, but did not speak. Passing them to the head of the kitchen stairs, she called to Mrs. Bubb, and that lady's voice summoned her to descend. "'Are you alone?' asked Miss Sparks sharply. "'There's only Mrs. Cheeseman.' Polly went down into the kitchen where Mrs. Cheeseman, a stout woman of slatternly appearance, was sitting with her legs crossed and a plate of shrimps in her lap. "'Have a shrimp, Polly?' began Mrs. Bubb, anxious to dismiss the memory of recent discord. "'Thank you, Mrs. Bubb. If I have a fancy for shrimps, I can afford to buy them myself.' "'Well, you are a nasty. Ain't she a real obstropolis, Mrs. Cheeseman? I never knew a nastier-tempered girl in all my life. That I never did. There's actually no living with her.' "'Now set down, Polly,' urged the stout woman in an unctuous voice. "'Set down, do, and tyke things easy. "'You'll worret your sweet self to death before you're many years older if you go on like this.' "'I'm much obliged to you, Mrs. Cheeseman,' answered Polly, holding herself very stiff. "'But I didn't come here to set down, nor to talk, neither. "'But I'm glad you're here, because you'll be a witness to what I say.' I've come to give Mrs. Bubb a week's notice. She's often enough told me that she wants to keep her house respectable, and I'm sure she'll be glad to get rid of people as don't suit her. It's the first time I was ever told that I disgraced a house, and I hope it'll be the last time, too. When I pay my rent tomorrow morning, you'll please to understand, Mrs. Bubb, that I've given a week's notice. I may be a disgrace, but I dare say there's people as won't be ashamed to let me a room." And that's what I come to say. And now I've said it, and Mrs. Cheeseman is a witness. 
This was spoken so rapidly that it left Polly breathless and with a very high color. The elder women looked at each other, and Mrs. Cheeseman, with a shrimp in her mouth, resumed the attempted pacification. Now see here, Polly, you're a young gal, my dear, and a handsome gal, as we all know, and you've only one fault, which there ain't no need to mention it. And we're all fond of you, Polly, that's the fact. Ain't we all fond of her, Mrs. Bubb? Oh, yes, she's very fond of me, exclaimed the girl, and so is my Aunt Louisa, and to show it they go telling everybody that I ain't respectable, that I'm a disgrace to a decent house. Do you think I'll stand it? Of a sudden she changed from irony to fierceness. What do you mean by it, Mrs. Bubb? Did you never hear of people being prosecuted for taking away people's characters? Just you mind what you're about, Mrs. Bubb. I give you fair warning, and that's all I have to say to you. Having relieved her feelings with these and a few more verbal missiles, Polly ran up the kitchen steps. In the passage, the two men were still conversing. At sight of Polly, they stopped with an abruptness which did not escape her observation. No doubt, she said to herself, they had been talking about her. No doubt, too, they had their reasons for letting her go by as before, without a word. Only when she was halfway up the first flight of stairs did Mr. Cheeseman call to her a "'Good night, Miss Sparks,' to which she made no reply whatever. On the morrow she called at the little stationer's shop, but no letter awaited her. She decided to be again at the rendezvous that evening, lest there should have been some mistake in her cipher message but she lingered near the College of Surgeons in vain. Polly's heart sank as she went home, for tonight there was no one to quarrel with. Mrs. Bubb and all the lodgers had shown that they meant to hold aloof. Not even Moggy would look at her or speak a word. It was quite an unprecedented state of things, and Polly found it disagreeable. There was only one consolation, and that a poor one. She had received a letter from Christopher Parrish, a letter of abject remonstrance and entreaty. He groveled at her feet. He talked frantically of poison and the river. If she would but meet him and hear him in his own defense, and Polly, quite meaning to do so, gave herself the pleasure of appearing obdurate for a couple of days. At the theater she examined every row of spectators in stalls and dress circle, having her own reason for thinking that she might discover a certain face. But no such fortune befell her, and still no letter came. At home she suffered increasing discomfort. For one thing, she had to seek her meals in the nearest coffee shop instead of going down into Mrs. Bubb's kitchen and gossiping as she ate at the family deal table, amid the dirt and disorder which custom had made pleasant. When in the house, she locked herself in her bedroom, reading the kind of print that interested her, or lying in sullen idleness on the bed. Numerous as were her acquaintances elsewhere, they did not compensate her for the loss of domestic habit. As the week drew on, she bethought herself that she must look for new lodgings. In giving notice to Mrs. Bubb, she had not believed for a moment that it would come to this. She felt sure that her old friend would make up the quarrel and persuade her to stay. Nothing of the kind. For once she was taken most literally at her word. There were moments when Polly felt disposed to cry. It vexed her much more than she would have thought 
to miss the jocose greetings of her neighbor, Mr. Gammon. As usual, he sang in his bedroom of a morning. As usual, he shouted orders and questions to Moggy. But for her, he never had a word. She listened for him as he came out of the room, and once so far humbled herself as to affect a cough in his hearing. Mr. Gammon paid no attention. Then she raged at him, of course, sotto voce. Many were the phrases of abuse softly hurled at him as he passed her door. The worst of it was that none of them seemed really applicable. Her vision of the man defeated all such contumely. She had never disliked Mr. Gammon. Oddly enough, she seemed to think of him with a more decided friendliness, now that his conduct demanded her enmity. She asked herself whether he really believed any harm of her. It looked very much as if he did, and the thought sometimes kept her awake for fully a quarter of an hour. It was the last day but one of her week. Tomorrow she must either submit to the degradation of begging Mrs. Bubbs leave to remain, or pack her boxes and have them removed before nightfall. Worry had ended by giving her a slight headache, a very rare thing indeed. Moreover, it rained, and breakfast was only obtainable by walking some distance. "'Oh, the beasts!' Polly exclaimed to herself as she pulled on her boots, meaning the inhabitants of the house altogether. Mr. Gammon opened his door and shouted down the staircase, "'Moggy, fry me three eggs this morning with the bacon. Do you hear me?' Three eggs, fried with bacon, and all comfortably set out at the end of the kitchen table and to think that she might be going down to breakfast at the same time with Mr. Gammon's jokes for a relish. Oh, the wretches, the mean, selfish brutes! She stamped about the floor to ease her nerves as she put on a common hat and an old jacket. She unlocked her door with violence, banged it open, and slammed it to again. From the staircase window she saw that the rain was falling more heavily, and she could not wait, for she felt hungry, after hearing about those three eggs. If she met anyone down below! And, as chance had it, she met Mrs. Cheeseman just coming up to her room from the kitchen with a dish of sausages. The woman grinned and turned her head away. Polly had never been so tempted to commit an assault. She thought with a burning brain how effective would be one smart stroke on the dish of sausages with the handle of her umbrella. Still hot from this encounter in the passage, she came face to face with Mrs. Bubb. The landlady seemed to hesitate, but before Polly had gone by, she addressed her with exaggerated politeness. "'Good morning, Miss Sparks. I suppose we're losing you tomorrow?' "'Yes, you are,' Polly replied, from a parched throat, glaring at her enemy. "'Oh, then I'll put the card up.' "'Do. I wouldn't lose no time about it.' And listen to this, Mrs. Bubb. Next time you see your friend Mrs. Clover, you may tell her that if she wants to know where her precious husband is, she's not to ask me, cause I wouldn't let her know, not if she was on her deathbed. Having uttered this surprising message, with point and emphasis worthy of its significance, Polly hastened from the house, and Mrs. Bubb stood looking after her in bewilderment. End of chapter 7 Recording by Arnold Banner, Mount Airy, North Carolina